welcome back to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic interview series. This week, our topic was bees, and we needed to find ourselves a topic expert, didn't we, Liam? Yes, we did. Now, where on earth are we going to find ourselves an expert on bees, I hear you ask? So what we did is we contacted the UK's largest bee conservation charity, the Bumblebee Conservation Trust, and we managed to get ourselves an interview with their CEO. So coming up is a fantastically interesting interview about bumblebees with the CEO of the Bumblebee Conservation Trust, Jill Perkins. Jill, thank you very much for joining the Two Guys, One Topic podcast. Delighted to be here this fine evening. Yeah, thank you so much. So as our our listeners will know, this week our topic was bees and it was so important learning about just the different types of bees that were out there, some more of that information together about why they're so important to us um, on a a day-to-day basis. And so we needed to find our expert and none other than Jill Perkins from the Bumblebee Conservation Trust has um, happily said that she will speak to us. So yeah, thank you very much, Jill. What we always like to do is before we get into the topic, is just maybe understand a bit more about yourself and how did you get involved working with bees in the first place? Well, it was quite a circuitous route. Um, You know, when you're at school, where you obviously do, I think one of you is a teacher, uh, and somebody says what A-levels, or or in my day, what O-levels you were going to take, and you've absolutely no idea, really. The only Mm. thing I really knew was that I didn't want to work in an office, and that I'd want to work outside. So uh, I chose a course, um, which, uh, and my dad had uh, such a wonderful connection with nature, and we always used to walk out. And that's where my love of nature came from. You know, after Sunday dinner, we always used to go out for a walk. And he taught me about birds and uh, all the different plants. And and so I chose a course at college that was uh, very heavily botany related and outside work, conservation work. Um, And and that started me off. It was it was a wonderful course. It was four years uh, and then I went and worked for the Lake District Special Planning Board, as it was then. Uh, worked in Iceland for a few months on a on a, an exchange program, uh, and then I married a farmer. Okay. <laughs> so I was still yeah. working outside, still <laughs> retained my goal of being outside, um, but my values were sorely tested because um, farming is quite intensive. You're, you're spraying a lot of things. You're adding fertilizer. Yes. And, all sorts of things that went against the conservation work I had been doing and the botany that I I had been um, learning about. Um, But after the farming experience, I moved into the corporate world. And for probably about 16 years, I worked for a lobbying organisation. Okay. Completely different. You know how life takes you off on these different courses? And, um, you know, it, it was just... Uh, a really good job uh, uh, that I enjoyed in the beginning. And as I rose up the ranks, it became more and more tortuous. Couldn't what? bear talking to politicians any longer. Okay, yes. <laughs> so that was my job. And at 50, when I was 50, I had an epiphany. I decided that I had to get back into conservation. That was where my love was. That was where my heart was. That was where my passion was. And, of course, it had been flowers. Mm -hmm. But 
bees and flowers evolve together. You can't have one without the other. And a job came up uh, for conservation manager for the Bumblebee Conservation Trust. And I thought, there's no way they're going to want me. My conservation credentials are so out of date. You know, 30, 40 years ago, couldn't call myself a scientist anymore. You know, it was just, uh, but what I didn't realize at that time, and this was about nine, 10 years ago, was they didn't want another scientist. They wanted somebody who could build the business or build oh, the charity. And that was okay. me. I And yeah. whether it's, my dad used to say, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. nice. And I built a door and I pushed it open and the Bumblebee Conservation Trust opened their arms to me. So right at the very beginning, you may call me an expert, but, you know, 10 years an expert, I had to learn what you've learned in a week. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're Over nine more. years. Best job ever. Really fulfilling. Love it. Nothing about it I don't like. Oh, amazing. Well, you are certainly more of an expert than we are. I'll give you, you know, tell you that much. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned there, and Ollie mentioned that you actually work for the Bumblebee Conservation Trust. And the next question that, that we sort of thought of straight away was, well, so what do you do, like, on a day-to-day -day basis? What does that entail? You know, could you just tell us about the charity, I guess. Uh, well, the charity was formed in 2006. You might have heard of a really great gentleman, and he'd be a really good podcast person, Dave, Professor Dave Goulson. Okay. So Professor Dave Goulson is really the bee guru of the, well, of the world, really, and of the United Kingdom. He's just brought out a new book called Silent Earth. He and his PhD student, Ben Darville, they did a lot of research on bumblebees. This was back in 2004, 2005. And through their research, they found out that bumblebees were in severe decline. We'd already lost two to extinction. Mm -hmm. Two were on the edge of extinction and there were six at risk. And we've only got 24 species. So they founded the Bumblebee Conservation Trust. And the trust, there was there's two strands to it, really. One, obviously, is to reverse the decline in bumblebees. And that's through habitat creation or restoration. And the other one, which is why this podcast is so good, is raising awareness. Excellent. It's yeah. Really getting the message out to people about bees, about the different bees, and even more importantly, how they can do something to help. Because you know it's such a big thing. Yeah. People can sometimes feel a little bit daunted as to what they can actually do. Yes. And that was pretty much the reason why we selected this as a topic. So we, we keep on reading about bees being on the decline and how they're important to us, but we didn't know that extra step and the reasons behind it for the whys to both of those. Um, so, yeah, so great. With the thing that surprised us initially was the number of species of bees that you have, and especially at yeah, bumblebees, and that there's only one that produces honey. Yes, the honeybee. So last year. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Ollie Smith that. <laughs> But yeah, um, honeybees have got had have had all the um, I don't know everything that anybody knows about bees is a honeybee. You know, I go into schools and there's those lovely little children sat there, the four and five year olds, and I'll say to them, "What do you know about bees?" And they know two <laughs> things. Come on, what are those two things? They produce they make honey. honey. Yeah, and they steam in a hive. Well done. Well done. No, 
no, no, forget about the hives. That's a, you know, they, they only know that they make honey uh, and they sting. They have no idea about the connection to food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, pollination means that they can eat a healthy, colourful, balanced diet. That that's that connection is lost completely. So, yeah, so we have one honeybee, Apis mellifera. We have 24 bumblebees, different species. And we have 220 plus, who nobody really knows, solitary bees. Right. And honeybees is called, uh, we call domesticated Mm -hmm. because they're looked after by us. And the bumblebees and the solitary bees we call wild bees because they're wild and feral and look after themselves. Um, And whenever you see that, I'll just say this, whenever you see that annoying thing, save the bees and there's a honeybee picture, you might as well say save the birds and have a picture of a chicken. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I can see the analogy. Yeah. Yeah, Because Because honeybees are not at risk. Honeybees, yes. they're livestock. That's what they are. They're livestock. They're not yes. at risk wow. of extinction. Yeah. So, some so other bees, they do. They live underground or in cracks and and like in little nests that they make in nature. Is yeah. that right? So obviously, yeah. we we pictured. Correct me if I'm wrong. We pictured that a honeybee lives in that big box that you see everywhere. But but normal bees or lots of bees. Just they live underground and in like little holes and things like that, because that, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm here to correct you if you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you are right. Yes. So honeybees live in a hive. <laughs> honeybees live in a hive. Um, bumblebees, most of them live underground in wow. um, abandoned rodents' nests or okay. anything that has made a, a hole underground um, that they can then build their own nest in. Solitary bees can live in all sorts of different places. Like you, Just like you said, they live in the cracks in the wall, or those little bug houses you see with canes in them. Mm-hmm. Um, they can live underground in, in the lawn. Sometimes you see loads of little holes in the lawn. Those are all solitary bees. And bumblebees can live in tussocky grass as well. They can make a, a nest in grass. Oh, okay. And just off the back of that, a bumblebee, do bumblebees have, do they, they live as more than one? That, so yeah. like a solitary bee is a bee, whereas yes. a bumble, a set of, a, a group of, I don't know what you call it, a colony of bumblebees? Yeah, you do, a colony. Well done. <laughs> I'm David Attenborough today. He'd, um, <laughs> so bumblebees would live in a colony and there would be, like, how many are we talking, like a hundred? Oh, Probably it depends on how much food they've got going on, how much uh, habitat and lovely flowers they've got to feed from. But anything from 400, you know, to maybe 600 in a nest. Wow. Something like that. Um, with sol- solitary bees, we call the lonely bees because they are they don't live in yeah. colonies. They, they just live by themselves and lay an egg and seal it up in the little uh, little tubes and stuff. But no, bumblebees live, can live in a colony. They live in a colony. One of the things about the the colony that we were reading was the the male bees, and they're really just there for the procreation. And it's very much the the queen bee and then the worker bees that are, run everything, really, isn't it? Absolutely right. So um, the queen bee, a little bit of I'll just do a quick life cycle for you. So the queen bee is premated the year before. About this time of year, you'll see the big queens come out again. They're mated by a male and she goes into hibernation full of eggs. 
and they're fertilized eggs. Mm -hmm. um, and so March time, she'll emerge from hibernation. And the first thing she'll do is she'll feed because she'll be really hungry and she'll look for somewhere to nest. Once she's found her nest, she collects loads of pollen and she makes a little mound in there. But she also extrudes wax from her abdomen and she manages to, uh, with her mandibles, mould it into the most beautiful little thimble-shaped cup. And in that little cup, she'll put nectar. She'll collect loads of nectar and she'll spurt it into this little cup. Because once she's laid her eggs on the pollen mound, uh, she'll have to brood them okay. uh, for at least five days before they change into larvae. And to sustain herself, she sups nectar from the little cup that she's made and put nectar in. Isn't that great? Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, we didn't know that. No, so so um, the eggs go through the normal insect thing, eggs, larvae, pupa, adult. And the adults are all the girls. Girls do mm -hmm. all the work. They keep the nest clean. They look after the queen. They brood the eggs. They go out. They bring home the honey, uh, bring home the nectar and the, and the pollen. They're literally, their lives are just one long chore. Later on in the season, the queen lays unfertilized eggs. And those are the males. And they have okay. two jobs. They have sex and they get drunk. <laughs> that is their entire life. So all the... <laughs> look, Dare Liam's I make a comment? Looking, Liam's looking excited to come back as a bumblebee. <laughs> Why is it always me? <laughs> so they, the, the males leave the nest. They don't return to the nest. They stay out all night. Nice summer's morning like today. Uh, you might walk in the garden and see a, a bumblebee splayed out on a flower. It will be a male. And then it goes off in search of another nest to hang around outside. And then the queen, she will lay more fertilised eggs and those will be the new queen. And when they leave the nest, uh, the males will mate with them. And uh, then the males die. And then the whole colony dies mm. apart from the new queen who goes on to. And so the life cycle goes around again. And does does the bumblebee queen? They she tends to only live for a, a year. Is that right? That's it. Yeah, that's it. And then that's wow. um, uh, compared to the honeybee, where honeybee queen can live for three or four years, maybe, but right. they're looked after and raised and cared for. They're not out in the yeah. wild. No, they're thing. not. They're soft. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> not like my hard furry bumblebees. <laughs> Right, so the, the probably the most surprising thing we found out about bees, and this is going back to what you said earlier, is how much they pollinate crops and how important they are to us as humans, you know, with regard to pollinating the things we eat. And, and can you just talk a little bit about that? Is that, is that true? Yeah. We've read that they, they pollinate like a third of all the crops we eat. Is that? Yeah. Oh, is it's that more true? than a third. Yeah, I think it's they're responsible for 75% uh, of all the crops grown in the world. Wow. I mean, yeah. seriously, um, people have underestimated the extent of pollination. Some really clever scientists in Reading University, Simon Potts, he and his team worked out that if we lost all our pollinators in this country uh, and we had to self-pollinate, you know, Remember that you probably won't remember the days, and neither do I, when children were sent up chimneys to clean them. Well, we'd have to send our children up up the, the trees to, to pollinate. It would cost this, this country £700 million. Wow. Yes. 
And I think it was 1.4 million euros in Europe if we lost all our pollinators. But here's a thing. I don't know whether you did this in your research. We have to import 70,000 boxes of commercially farmed bumblebees every year to service our soft fruit industry because we don't have enough in this country. We yeah. did mention we did mention that as a business that that commercially, you know, farms rent bees yes. to pollinate their farms because there are not enough bees to do that. Yeah. It's quite and, right. And the the other, you know, the flip side of it you're saying how costly it is if we were to then having to do it by hand. This is a service that the bees provide for free, don't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. They're doing it and they they're doing all that great work. And they're, they're designed to do what they do. So we should try and encourage them to uh, to do it more and thrive. Well, I would I would really like that connection with our food and our food security to be, you know, honey is all very well, but you can't survive on honey. No. It's a lovely, sweet thing. Great. You know, I, you know, I like honeybees a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I sense I sense that you, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. They just get too much news they're just they're just too much in the news um it's that connection with food you know it's, it's yeah. not just the fruit and the vegetables and the color and the health but you know if you think about um the cows and all our dairy products and you and you think well cows eat grass gel and grass is wind pollinated what's that what to do with pollinators but it's very rare you'll have a pasture that is just grass there'll be mm-hmm. clover in it there'll be yeah. other flowers in it uh, that create the quality milk and so all our dairy products from ice cream through to yogurts and to milk you know the quality of that is down to pollination as well the way our countryside looks the colors in our garden yes that is down to pollination yes yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. we'd read that they also they pollinate I can't remember the name of it the, they pollinate the food that we give to our livestock as well like think yes. like it's it's such a big chain there's so many steps that they're they're responsible for it's the weirdest thing isn't it we've got something wrong somewhere i think but um yeah it's a it's a pollination is what we call an ecosystem service Uh, and it's like the things we take for granted like clean water clean air food on our tables these are all ecosystem services that somehow as human beings we've we've lost touch with really um I, i hesitate to mention climate change but there we are. <laughs> so we we did actually mention, yeah, p- climate change as part of the responsibility in terms of the decline for the bees as well in them getting confused about when they might awake from hibernation or even just missing the timing of the, the flowering seasons or the optimal time for them to come out. And But some of the other reasons of the declining about habitat loss and pesticides and some of those other things is there one main contributor that you think is is responsible more than others uh, it was a loss of habitat so uh, we know that the the declines happened just after the second world war when we lost 97 percent of our wildflower meadows and oh, that was what oh. was sustaining our bee population or bees um, everything went down to food which was rightly so because that's that's what was needed after the after the war. So everything was ploughed up and, and food grown. You know, you move on a few decades, we have a growing population. We have agriculture that intensification. Um, we have a finite amount of land in this country. So as our population grew, as farming intensified, 
that came along as put pressure on our bees. And then um, you've probably read about neonicotinoids. Yes. That in uh, systemic insecticide. Um, I always call that um, bayoneting the wound. The wound was already made back in the 1940s. Okay. Yeah, nicotinoids didn't come in until the 1990s, by which time the declining bees were really well established. It was yeah. just another level of pain for the bees. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, you've got the imported bumblebees, you know, the commercially farmed ones uh, that they're supposed to be in glass houses and, and polytunnels, but you get escapees. And it's, you know, they bring in pests and diseases that our, our native bees don't have. Okay. And I think that's, um, you, do you remember ash dieback when we were gaily importing whip, uh, ash whips? From, no? No, okay. I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, so that's we negative. import a lot of, of trees and stuff from Europe. And we started importing ash trees. Um, we didn't realise at the time that they had diseases. Now all our ash trees are dying because they've got this disease. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, it's the same with with imported bees. They, you know, they get screened. Um, you have to have a license to import them, but nonetheless, you'll get escapees uh, mm -hmm. and yeah. diseases. Wow! <laughs> so poor bees. You, yeah, yeah. N neo nicotinoids. We both wrote that down um, phonetically when we did the pod, so we could say it properly. <laughs> we know? just call them neonics <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. So if, if the bees were to die out or continue to decline, how would that affect us as humans, the food we eat and things? You know, what what is the problem? You know, if they all die out, how is that going to affect us? I think I think it's already affecting us. I mean, the, the first thing that will happen is that food will obviously be scarcer and therefore mm -hmm. more expensive. Yeah, that's exactly what we said. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be more expensive. You mm -hmm. won't get the choice. It'll be much, you know, a much narrower uh, choice of of uh, of foods. It'll be very bland. You know, you, mm -hmm. you, you probably have to eat a, a lot more um, wind pollinated things, you know, bread and uh, and things like that. You'll have to have people out pollinating for, sh for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think... Yeah, I think we'll be poorer health-wise and probably poorer mental health-wise. You know, if COVID has taught us nothing, it's how important nature is to us. Yeah, 100%. Just outside. You know, we, we were trapped in our gardens, weren't we? We yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. go out for a walk, but, you know, people read, you know, our membership on that first lockdown, March 23rd for the next three months, we doubled our membership for the same period from 2019 during that period, everybody rediscovered bumblebees, but they didn't have anything else to do but look in their gardens at night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. And have you seen, uh, has there been an uprise in bees since COVID? Has that helped at all? Ah, oh, now there's a question. That's a really, really interesting question. Good one, Ollie, well done. <laughs> so the question everybody asks me as CEO of the Bumblebee Conservation Trust is how are the bees doing Jill? Now how am I to know that the work that we do, the habitat we restore, the interventions we make, the awareness we raise 
how do I know that that's working? Mm. And the only way we can know is through data and science. So in 2010, we started up Bee Walk. And it was modelled on the the butterfly uh, monitoring system as well. Uh, And what it is, we trained people to identify bees. And then they could go and set a transect or a walk, just a length between one and two kilometres, where they would walk once a month. They record the bees they see and the flowers they were feeding on. So in the first few years, uh, we didn't have enough data to really analyse. But now we have over 700 bee walkers across the whole of the UK. Oh, wow. And every year we we uh, we produce a report called the Bee Walk Report. And that answers that question, how are the bees doing? And how we are doing as a charity in reversing their declines. So yeah. that's that's core to all our work is Bee Walk. That's fantastic. And that's going that's something our listeners would be able to, to join or sign up for if they were to go to the Bumblebee Conservation Trust website. That, yes, is that yeah, put in Bee Walk. Um, we've got lots of videos um, on how to start learning. You have to learn to identify bees, but that okay. in itself is a joy. Um, well, it is for me anyway. It might not be for everybody, but <laughs> um, yeah. and so you can learn how to. We we tend to run um, well during COVID. We learned how to do it online through presentation Zoom presentations. Uh, now we're getting back face to face, where we 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 do two hours in the morning, and then we take people out in the field, catch bumblebees, and get to identify them in the in the in the wild. Okay. Um, yeah, we can we can train people up. You can also do something called a fit count. FIT fit count, um, and that's another way of monitoring bumblebees, and it's it's a much simpler way of doing it. Okay, um, that's on our website as well. Just sort of on these lines as well, we discussed in our pod some of the ways that you know in your own house or your own home or your own garden you can help out the bees. So just you know, would you like to just share with us some things that we could do in our garden, maybe just yeah. to help out bees? So we, we've, um, oh, about 18 months ago, we got a really lovely consultancy in uh, to look at our audience uh, data and work out how we can expand our audience, both uh, across urban areas, different societies, different communities, different ethnic backgrounds, everywhere. Uh, and so we got a load of data from that. And from that, we produced a project called Be the Change. And what we learned was that people could do micro actions, something as simple as deadheading your flowers so that they keep flowering. Anybody can do that. Yes. Go deadhead your flowers. Buy a bee friendly flower, buy a pot of lavender. You know, as simple as that. No Mo May. We, We collaborate with lots of other NGOs, Plant Life we do, and we support their No Mo May. Don't mow your yeah. lawn. Let the flowers yes, yeah. grow. Talk to the children. Uh, for me, it's all about, you know, we're, we're done and dusted. We are. It's all about your three-year-old, Ollie. That's who yes. is really important. So that, you know, talk about bees to them. Uh, not, oh, no, there's a bee in me. It's going to sting me. But as friendly creatures that need our help, just like hedgehogs, really. Everybody loves hedgehogs. But I want everybody to love bees, too. Yes, 
Yeah. So uh, there's really very, very simple things. Go to the garden centre and just wander around and look at the plants that the bees are feeding on and buy that plant. Yeah. Grow yeah. your own veg. Grow yes. your own veg. Yeah, this week we were reading about some of the, the ways that you can help. And as you say, those micro actions, if everybody's doing it, it all adds up, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, to, to, to make a big change. Um, just out of interest, what's what do you think the future holds for the Bumblebee Conservation Trust? Oh, I'm really positive about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I would say that, wouldn't I? But yeah, yeah. The, the whole the whole climate change uh, thing, um, we can use bumblebees as a vehicle for people to help with that with the whole climate change problem because people do feel overwhelmed i feel overwhelmed you know our house is on fire what can i do well one of the things that we can do creating you know small patches in our gardens or if we haven't got gardens you know working with your councils to put down wildflower patches these will help they will help yeah um, so i think it, it, we can use bumblebees as a vehicle in schools as well uh, lots of different uh, across all of uh, science and you know even their fur is electrostatic so you can talk about static electricity with birds because that you know their pollen sticks to their fur and all, and all of that like when you rub a balloon on your hair all yes. of that business yes um so you could use bumblebees as a vehicle in schools to to teach all sorts of different things geography as well how they you know, expand their ranges. So there's lots of different things you can use them for. We, on those lines, we actually read about a very strange use for bees, um, which was them becoming sniffer bees. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the some of the ways that they could be used to try and sniff out bombs or drugs. Yeah, I think lots and lots of things have been tried. They are very clever creatures. They have a brain the size of a grain of salt. Or okay. a poppy seed. Um, some scientists taught them how to play football. Okay. Did you nah. see that? Did no, you? we didn't. Okay, no. so um, they they taught a bee. Uh, so that so they had a bee, and then they had some bees watching. Didn't quite know how they managed all of this, but <laughs> so this bee they trained. <laughs> I'm not making mm. this up. This is really true. <laughs> they trained this bee. <laughs> to move a ball into a little hole and when the ball went in the hole uh, the bee got a a, a sweet treat got okay. some nectar as yeah. a result so the bees that were watching this bee push this ball they learnt from watching that bee so they weren't trained by these Oh, wow. wow. So when they when they got this collection of bees who had been watching this bee put this ball in this hole and they all came, they could all put the ball in the hole without being trained because just watch the other bee. So, yeah, there, there is some intelligence there, surely. Very intelligent. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, somebody did do it about sniffing out uh something i can't remember that one that was quite some time ago but it's true they are quite you can train bumblebees yes to a certain yeah. level yeah some classical conditioning of giving treats yeah, just try to stay away from the stingers don't mention the stingers do you know male bumblebees don't have a sting no if we you were to identify male bumblebees that. you could just handle them happily 
We did learn that, yeah. And I got stung about two days before we recorded the episode as well. So, <laughs> Yeah, but that was probably by a honeybee, wasn't it? Yes. I think it was because the sting yeah. was still in me. Oh, so that's I think, a honeybee. It's a honeybee. Yeah, yeah. that's what we said. Yeah, they should get, so more, they should get more, more of a bad rep, shouldn't they, Jill? They yeah, yeah stupid honeybees. Honey <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God, all those beekeepers are going to be down on me like a ton of bricks after <laughs> here. <laughs> oh, they, they know it's in jest. That's okay. Yeah. Is, is there anything else, Jill, that you think that, that you'd like to share with us, either about just bees in general or um, the Bumblebee Conservation Trust? Uh, oh, I just think, you know, if we do nothing else, I would like everybody to learn to put a bumblebee in their heart. Because if, if we can do that, yeah, yeah, you know, if we can learn to love these creatures, not fear them, then I think we can reverse their decline. We've got a real, real step change there to reverse their declines. And also, yeah. I, I, I could get on a soapbox here, but I won't. We waste so much food that these beautiful creatures... Mm provide for us yeah totally no we've got to stop wasting food and start really understanding where our food comes from uh and, yeah you know bumblebees are central to that but yeah and that, central to that that was the biggest thing we found out about it wasn't it ollie and um absolutely yeah like you said if we can just raise some awareness because we didn't even we didn't know that until we started learning about it so therefore Nobody else knows that, or lots of other people don't know that. So, yeah, like you said, try and raise some awareness. Yeah, absolutely. And if any of our listeners, they can sign up at the Bumblebee Conservation Trust to be bee walkers or to be taking part in anything that the Bumblebee Conservation Trust, that'd be brilliant. And I'm sure Jill would really appreciate it. Yeah, and you can join the Bumblebee Conservation Trust. It's a mere £25 a year and your money will be well spent. On that note, Jill, that is brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and just to verify and just make sure that what we had researched and shared with our listeners this week was near enough all on track. It's, um, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much. And you yeah, too. Thank, you, much, thank you for asking me. Well, that was pretty interesting, wasn't it, Ollie? What, what do you think about that? Oh, super interesting. I just love Jill's enthusiasm for bumblebees. Not the honeybee, remember? They get too much good press already, but for the bumblebees <laughs> and making sure that, that it's just those small things that we can do can then just make a massive difference. Yeah, I, I like whenever we do these, we say it every week, any of our experts' enthusiasm for the topic is, it's just so nice listening to them talk about something that they love. Yeah, infectious. It, it just, it's, yeah, that's the word. It sucks you in, doesn't it? It makes you yeah. like, I want to go and count some bumblebees in my garden. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like such a small thing to do to sign up to the, the bumblebee walk once a month do a one kilometer walk yeah. and just monitor what it is that you've seen yeah and it's i like you know she validated basically the fact that they're so important for everything we eat and i think like she said if you just raise some awareness about that i think it's just an amazing fact to know that they pollinate most of what we eat is just <laughs> unbelievable yeah and we so. have a really boring diet without them so yeah although i do like bread so i'd probably be all right <laughs> I hope everybody listening has enjoyed the topic of bees over this last week and enjoyed listening um, to Jill's interview there as well. If you have any questions or anything else you'd like us to go back and ask Jill about, please get in contact with us at Two Guys One Topic on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. That's at Two Guys One Topic. Thank you very much for listening. 
get out there and share some knowledge. Mm-hmm.